Hey sinners, I'm Megan. And I'm Lindsay. And this is Sinners Among Saints. Everybody. Hello, welcome back. Welcome back. Hope everybody had a great week. If you guys did Black Friday shopping, I hope you were all successful. I, for a hot second, did Black Friday Amazon shopping and I put a few <laughs> things in my cart. And when I went to go check out, it was like the lightning deals, I guess, and they were all gone. So oh, yeah. I didn't get any of them because I was like pissed. Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, I I did that a couple times, too, because they did, like, the lightning deals, like, even before Black Friday, Uh but I know you're not a Black Friday shopper. I got all of my Christmas shopping done. We are, I think I have one more person to buy for in my life, and everybody else is done. Nice. I have not even started, (laughs) so. And when I get home today, I'm planning on wrapping presents, so we don't have to hide them from the kids. They'll just be done. Nice. Yeah. Our tree's not up. I was going to say, is your tree up? We're doing that this weekend. Okay, yeah. We were going to do it, yeah, this past weekend, but um, we got the plague in our house, so yeah, <laughs> there's too much vomiting going on for any of that, so I guess we'll probably do the tree this, this weekend as well. Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we don't get sick because everyone in Casper was sick, Yeah, <laughs> which is never fun, no. and my kids tend to get everything, so... Tis the season. Yeah, I don't ever get throw up sick, so this was miserable, and now I feel even worse for, like, my kids, and they get it, and they're like, I'm so thirsty, and I'm like, you can't have any water, you'll throw it up, but I was just down in water left and right, I was like, I don't care if I throw it up, I'm so thirsty. You just need something. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, feeling so, dehydrated is the worst. Yeah, it was terrible, and I, like, literally had pregnancy PTSD, <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank God I cannot do that anymore. I was like... This just like reminds me of being pregnant and it's miserable and I don't glad I can never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to all you pregnant people out yeah. there that are puking all the time. Yeah. I feel your we pain. We both went through that and it sucks. Yeah. It is not fun. It is terrible. I've lost some weight though. So hey. <laughs> there, the weight that. loss diet. Right. I know. Cody was like, that's not good. I'm like, it's not bad. It's the before Christmas yeah diet you know I need to get down a little bit so whatever so I eat. you can pack it back on <laughs> yeah just keeps me at what i was so, so i do have to tell you something funny because on the way here i saw this big billboard and i was driving so I, it's one of those ones that change and like flash uh-huh. so i didn't catch the second part of it but literally it was like getting out of polygamy question mark and i was like <laughs> Like, do we have enough of that still in Utah that we have to have a billboard for people leaving the lifestyle? I mean, I think we do. We have. And so I don't know if it was for like a support group. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what it was for. But. Did you ever watch that show that was um, escaping polygamy that they no. had? It was like a reality show they had on TV for a little bit. And there was like some ex polygamist people that were like helping current polygamous like escape out and it was and obviously like here in utah oh, yeah so and weird. it was it was definitely like interesting so it's like sneak in, in the middle of the night and like mm-hmm. you know rescue these people out of there so i know we still have some i just didn't know that we had enough to like spring for a billboard i guess yeah i think there's a lot more 
down south and in like those smaller places yeah. than than we realize but i think there's still quite a bit yeah and they're like not the fun polygamous like sister wives <laughs> they're like the <laughs> they're like the I think more like the warren jeff's polygamists where yeah. they're you know they have no say and they're abused and all of that that's so sad yeah so, so very sad. sad i mean i definitely see the benefit of having like a sister wife but yeah. i don't want them to sleep with my husband right like sometimes we've kind of joked about that like we should just buy some yeah. land and then have like a, our own little commune where we could help each other out yeah. and like someone to like kids or whatever right sorry it's kind of stormy outside so if you guys can hear that it's i don't know what yeah i don't know what we're we're just we're picking up on something thunder right now. i don't know it's not i don't think it's thunder because it was really you long you guys can't hear that yeah but but, but yeah sister wife would be nice someone to help clean someone to help cook yeah. someone to like the kids can go to their house or whatever like i yeah. totally see that benefit but you can't sleep with my husband exactly so. <laughs> exactly we just need like a best friend commune <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally that would be great and we can have a big garden and i'll do the gardening yeah you and... do i'm not gonna do gardening but yeah 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 i will sit around and talk to you while you garden and keep you company that's perfect <laughs> all, right. all right well so this case you know at this time of the year most people are getting into the christmas spirit we've all wrapped up from thanksgiving it's like the time of year where many people start to feel like that warm feeling of giving and gratitude and mm -hmm. peace and love and all the feels so, of course, I thought it was fitting to cover a case that takes place during Christmas and involves the complete opposite of <laughs> all of those things. So, this case is about two men who are very selfish, feel they deserve to take things from others, and cause complete despair. This is the right. case of the Tita family murders. And I'm hoping I'm saying this right. It's T-I-E-D-E. -E, and everything I could find says it's Tita. It's a German name. Okay. So... In 1990, 25-year-old Von Lester Taylor, which That's I'm like, awesome name. I refer to him most of, <laughs> most often just by Von Lester because I didn't yeah. want to just call him Taylor because I'm like Von Lester yeah. Taylor. Yeah. Von, Lester's w Von Lester is way better. Yeah. So I refer to him as Von Lester. He was in jail serving a one to 15-year sentence for aggravated burglary. Okay. And he's paroled on October 23rd, 1990, and he ends up coming to a halfway house in Salt Lake on November 23rd, 1990. And there he meets a man who he becomes, air quotes, friends with, okay. named Edward Deli. So talk about a meet cute. Right. <laughs> you know, they, they bro out in the halfway house and... Deli had recently been paroled on November 27th, 1990, so just like shortly after Von Taylor or Von Lester gets there. And he was paroled after serving 14 months on an arson conviction. Okay. So naturally, the two thought like, wow, our skill yeah. set of burglary <laughs> and arson goes so, so well together. Yeah, hand in hand. So they're like, let's bust out of this place and put our skills to good use. Of course. So on the pretense that they were going job hunting, the two men took off from the halfway house on December 16th, 1990, but they were not looking for gainful employment at all. <laughs> they instead decided to hitchhike to a very remote town called Oakley, Utah, which is about 40 miles west of Salt Lake City. Okay. And this is an area that Edward Deli felt very comfortable with. 
because his dad owned a cabin in the area and he had visited it many times. Okay. And in the 1990s, Oakley only had less than 600 residents. It was like 520 something. Oh, wow. So it's really, really remote. And in the winter months, you actually have to snowmobile in from the main road. So you have to park your car in like a garage or the road and snowmobile in because they don't plow the roads. Okay. I've never even heard of Oakley. Oh, you've never been to Oakley? No. It is beautiful. So that's where Catherine Heigl and her husband have like a little ranch. Okay. It's really, really pretty. It's like farm country. Um, It's gorgeous there. But anyways, so most people in the area kind of, just have cabins in the mountains uh-huh. and they use them mostly in the summer months. So there's not a ton of people around in December, like maybe a few neighbors, but right. not very many. Okay. So these two decided to go in and break into several of the local cabins over the next week. And on December 20th, 1990, Von Lester was walking around the area, kind of searching for more cabins to burglar. And I don't know why, but he's only wearing a windbreaker, pants, and sneakers. Not really dressed for the harsh winter temperatures, Uh, which at this time we're reaching a low of minus 20 degrees. Which Utah's cold, but this area is frigid. And they were having like even an abnormally cold winter in 1990. So as he's walking, he hears a snowmobile approach and two people are riding on it. And this ends up being Kay... Tita, and she's age 49, and her teenage son, Sean, who's 17. Okay. And so being nice, neighborly people, they stop and ask if he's okay and see if he needs help. But he, because he's on this crime spree, doesn't want them to really get a good look at him. Yeah. So he just, like, sketchily turns the opposite direction and walks away and just doesn't say anything to them. Okay. (laughs) So later we find out that this, of course, gave Kay the creeps immediately And she starts getting a bad feeling about this man. So the two men now know that there are people in this cabin because he kind of like looks to see where, which cabin they head to. So he knows that they're there and they start to kind of stalk the cabin. And on the following day, they see a man and two girls arrive on more snowmobiles. Okay. And this is Kay's husband, Rolf. It's R-O-L-F. He's German, so... Yeah, Rolf, he's 51, and their two daughters, Lene, who's 20, and Trisha, who's 16. They kind of drop some stuff off, and then shortly after, Rolf rides the snowmobile back to the car, and they see him bringing guns to the cabin. Oh. And we find out that this is because as soon as he gets in the cabin, Kay tells him about this man that yeah. her and Sean encountered, and the bad feeling that she got, and she's like, we need to go get the guns from the car, Have them in the cabin in case we need to protect ourselves. And she's particularly worried about a possible break-in. Okay. So Von Lester and Deli now know the family have guns and that they have their vehicle that's parked in the garage, which is about two and a half miles from the cabin. Okay. So because Deli knows the area and knows the garage and all that, they know that they'll need a garage code to get into the garage and keys to access the car. Right. So at this point, they hatch this truly horrific plan that they will later carry out. And their plan is that they're going to go get the car and use it to get away from the crime spree that they had been on. 
And their plan was to head to New York and just drive to New York to kind of get away from Utah. Okay. And I don't know why New York. I don't know. I couldn't find if they had family or connections or anything there, but they're headed to New York. Just wanted to go to the Big Apple. Yeah. See some Broadway shows. (laughs) Well, and that's what I'm like. Maybe it's just because it's more populated and they have less of a chance of, like, getting caught. Yeah. It's also, like, 800 times more expensive. So. Go with your no money. Right. To New York. To New York. See how far you get. Yeah, exactly. Weird. So they try to learn the family's routines and they're really just stalking the cabin at this point. They want to know how many people are there and what kinds of stuff they're bringing into the cabin. They're just kind of waiting for a moment to see if the family leaves or kind of what's going to happen. And on December 21st, they see the family pack up and everybody that's there leaves on the cap on the snowmobile. Sorry. They, so they leave on the snowmobiles and the men figure that this is their chance. Okay. So they break into the cabin immediately and they feel like they have just hit the freaking jackpot because this family has brought all their Christmas gifts. They have like all this delicious food and drink. Comfortable Aww. beds. Yeah. It's much more luxurious than the cabins that they've been breaking into. <laughs> right. Which has mostly been like vacant and locked up yeah. for the winter. So they actually found a camcorder in the cabin and started filming themselves living their best lives. Oh my God. People are so stupid. Yeah. So these assholes ate the family food. They sleep in their beds. They chill on their comfy couch. <laughs> Von Lester even gets into Rolf's clothes. And so in the video of him, he's wearing Rolf's clothes. Oh, they like Goldilocks? Yeah, it literally just put, it reminded me of Goldilocks and the yeah. Three Bears. Like, everything was just right. So oh. then, you know, they're just chilling, kind of waiting for the family to get back. And they decide to have their own Christmas. So they get the family's Christmas presents that are all wrapped under the Christmas tree. And they take turns opening them. And they would call out the what? name of who like who the gift was for, open it, make comments about each gift, and then move on to the next present. And this is videotaped, And it's all on videotape. Oh, my God. And they literally open every single present that this family has brought. Which I'm like, that's just such a dick move. Right? Like, ugh. The fact that they're just making themselves right at home as they wait for this family to come back. Yeah, because they, obviously, they have plans, right, for the family. And I think it's important to know, we'll kind of talk about it a little later, but they are literally waiting for them to come home. So they could have just robbed the cabin and left. That is not what they choose to do. That's what's always like so scary for me is, is obviously murder in general is terrible. But like if it's a spur of the moment, it makes more sense. But like all this time for you to change your mind. Yeah. For you to like be like, you know what? We we shouldn't kill this family. Like they, you know, like let's just take all this shit. Let's take everything. We can sell it, make money, whatever. Yeah. And but like to still just stay there and like know what you're going to do and be just fine with it mm-hmm. is so scary. But their kind of big plan and they're out is to steal the family car. Right. So they have to have them back yeah. in order to do that. So the family actually spends the night in Salt Lake. And so these guys spend the entire night in <laughs> yeah. the cabin. And the following day on December 22nd at about 1230 p.m., they finally hear the snowmobiles coming and they grab the guns that the family had at the cabin. Oh, no. And the family had gone into town to do some last-minute Christmas shopping, 
and they end up staying at Kay's mom's house overnight, who lives in town. Okay. And Sean, who was there, he's uh-huh. the brother, uh-huh. he ends up staying in town with his aunt with the plan to come to the cabin in the following days because the whole family comes. Like, okay. all the cousins, the aunts, the uncles, it's like an extended family. Okay. And they all get together over Christmas. Okay. So this is the 22nd. So in the next couple of days, everyone's going to yeah. start arriving. And they all kind of arrive at different times. So Sean is not coming back to the cabin, but right. he's going to come back with his aunt in the next few days. Okay. So Lene, and remember, she's the oldest daughter. She's 20, is the first to enter the house. And she runs inside before her mom because her hands are freezing from the frigid cold temperatures mm-hmm. and she wants to warm them up and then she's going to go back out and kind of help carry in presents. Okay. So she enters the cabin and she immediately sees a dark shadow behind the fridge. Oh, no. And she thinks it's her cousin David who's arrived early for Christmas uh-huh. and that he's just kind of hiding and is going to scare her. Yeah. So she even starts giggling because she thinks like, yeah, he, I saw him like he's not going to scare me. Yeah. I'm on to him. But a frizzy-haired man, and this is Von Lester, he's always described everywhere as having frizzy hair. (laughs) I feel you, man. (laughs) Right? Uh, Jumps out at her and points a gun, and she immediately becomes frightened, realizing it's not her cousin. Yeah. And he tells her, call the rest of your family in. It's important to note here that the only people that are actually here are Kay, and while they're in town, they pick up the mom, Beth. So Kay's mom beth which is Lene's grandma and the family travels in shifts and so it's just these three rolf and trisha are not there yet okay beth is in her 70s i think she's 76 and she's blind (gasps) and partially handicapped because several years earlier she had been in a previous car accident which killed her husband and then left her like handicapped oh man yeah so a lot of things I read was that's kind of why the family likes to travel in shifts was because they experienced the loss of their dad and then kind of the, yeah. you know, the handicap issues and the blinding of their mom. Yeah. And so the parents like to travel separately with kids so that that way, if something happens, they always have a capable adult. That's so like. It's smart, but sad that they have, that they feel like they have to, like, do that in order to, Because they've been traumatized already. Yeah. So the two women come in, and Edward Deli, who he's always described as wearing these thick Coke bottle glasses. Okay. Points his gun at the women, and Kay helps her mom sit on the stool because she's blind. Yeah. So she kind of gets her mom situated on a stool and then stands next to her. And they start crying immediately and are pleading with the men, telling them, just take whatever you want from the cabin. Just please don't hurt us. Yeah. You can have anything you want. Just take it. Yeah. So they're very cooperative. And the women are in the cabin for less than three minutes when Von Lester takes aim and shoots Kay in the chest. What? She falls to the ground. He then shoots Beth in the head. And she falls off of her stool, but it doesn't kill her. Oh, my gosh. So she's trying to get up, and he shoots her again um, in the head, and then shoots her a third time in the chest. Why? I just can't imagine this poor lady. She just gets shot in the head, and then it doesn't is, like, even kill still her. still trying to get she's up. She's, like, 
she's superhuman. Yeah. So then they shoot Kay. He goes and shoots Kay two more times to make sure that she's dead. Okay. And this, of course, makes Lene go hysterical with fear and grief. And she begs the men to let her call paramedics and get help for her mom and grandma. Yeah. And Deli ends up taking her into one of the bedrooms and ties her up and puts a dirty sock in her mouth. Gross. I know. And then covers it with duct tape. Gross. You can't just duct tape her mouth. Right? (laughs) Like, you have to put a dirty sock in there. That's disgusting. dickhead. Yeah. So it does say later that Deli feels kind of bad for locking Lene in the room by herself after she just witnessed that. Yeah. And so he takes the family dog in the bedroom with her to, like, help comfort her. I mean, which super nice. Yeah, it's like a nice move. But it doesn't still help. Killed her mom in front of her and her grandma. Right. And shoved it. I don't know. It's just so within weird three to me. minutes of them being in there, like yeah, nothing and could have literally like nothing hey. could have really happened yet. And you know, at this point, I feel like okay, they they have a snowmobile, they have the car, yeah. So why not just go take the car now and leave? Yeah, they didn't have to kill them because like, they still those, don't have the code. Those right? women weren't gonna. I knew, those women would have given them the code, right? I guarantee they would have said, "What's your garage code?" And they'd have said, "Here's my keys to my car. Take yeah. anything you want and go." End of story. Tie him up, you know? Yeah. Do something like that. But you didn't have to kill him. No. So then Von Lester and Deli drag the bodies to the deck and throw them off the balcony into the snow. And Lene, who's still locked in the bedroom, hears one of the men go in and, like, start puking in the toilet. And he's just saying, like, this is so sick. This is gross. This is disgusting. So she doesn't know which man it was, but yeah. one of the men was having a hard time with this. Okay. And later, it's kind of thought that it was Deli because he didn't shoot anybody. Yeah. And he was the one that was sort of like, here's the dog. Like, I'm sorry, you're traumatized. Yeah. Kind of being a little bit of the nicer guy. Right. I guess if there is a nicer guy in this situation. But then they go outside and cover up the bodies the best they can with snow. And then they go back inside and just continue to wait for the rest of the family. So, again, you've committed two murders. Yeah. You have Lene. You could have just left at this point. Yeah. You you don't have to wait. So, at about 2.45 p.m., they hear another snowmobile. And Von Lester grabs Lene and pulls her out into the living room. And Edward Deli grabs his gun and runs outside. And he meets Rolf and Trisha. So remember, Rolf's the dad. Trisha is the 16-year-old daughter. Okay. And he holds them at gunpoint and walks them back into the cabin. Deli tells them to give them all his money. And immediately, Rolf pulls, like, searches his pockets, pulls out about $105 and throws it on the ground. Yeah. So he's also cooperating and tells them to take whatever they want. Yeah. At this point, Rolf looks at Lene, and he knows right away that something terrible has happened to his wife. He has a feeling that she's dead. Yeah. He just doesn't know. Von Lester then demands that Deli shoot Rolf, but Deli can't do it. So Von Lester cocks his gun and pulls the trigger. Click. Nothing happens. He cocks it again. Click. Nothing happens. So he cocks it a third time, and this shot, unfortunately, does go off. 
and he shoots Rolf in the face. Oh, my God. In the face. So Rolf falls to the floor and is completely still. Both daughters at this point are like, yep, he's dead. He's not moving at all. The men then grab cans of gas that the family always had gas on hand for the snowmobiles. And they had found those as they had had been waiting for the family to come home. They grab the gas cans and douse the cabin with gasoline. Now, it had always been their thought process that they were going to burn the cabin down. So that's why they didn't give a shit if they made that video or if they ate food or left DNA or fingerprints because they were just going to burn it to the ground to get rid of evidence. Okay. So they also make sure to douse Rolf with gasoline as well. And just for good measure, he's lying on his stomach, and they shoot him in the back of his head to make sure he's dead. Jeez. They then light the cabin on fire and grab the two daughters and force them to the snowmobiles. So they are forcing the girls to drive them to the car. Okay. So they start driving, and when they're almost to the garage, they see this man, like, waving and yelling and smiling, like, hey. And the men are like, who is that? And the girls are both, they are just like, we have no idea. He's just a local being nice. Just ignore him. Yeah. They get in the car, or they get to the car, and they put in the garage code, and Von Lester places his gun in the trunk of the car and then opens his jacket to reveal a big knife. And he looks at Trisha and says, don't worry, I'm just as good with a knife as I am with a gun. Okay. Yeah. Just because I'm getting rid of this gun, don't try anything because I have this knife. Okay. Yeah. So they get into the car and Trisha's in the front seat and Von Lester is driving and both Deli and Lene are in the back seat. Suddenly, the same man starts waving them down and telling them to stop and, like, saying, hey. Yeah. And the girls, again, ignore him and tell the men, just keep driving. He's just some local. Don't worry about him. And we later find out that this is actually the girl's uncle. His name's Randy. And these two girls, oh. without even speaking to each other or looking at each other like they both realize they need to pretend that they don't know Randy or his life is also going to be in danger. Yeah. Which they were just like, it's, I just think it's really cool that they were just on the same wavelength. Yeah. They later do interviews as well saying that when they're driving the snowmobile, they are trying to think of all these ways that they can maneuver the snowmobile and throw the men off and get away but they don't know if it'll work and they don't want to put their sister in danger. Yeah. They end up just driving them to the car. Okay. So Randy later states that he initially thought the girls were with their boyfriends when he sees them the first time um, on the snowmobiles. And so he doesn't really think much of it. Yeah. But then knows something is wrong when they drive past him in the car and won't stop. Yeah. So that's when his, like, kind of red flag sensors go up, and he's like, something's something's not right. Yeah. (laughs) It's so rude. So they hadn't driven too far when they pass a deputy on the road who quickly turns around and starts to pursue them, puts his lights on, and Lene recalls that the men were so confused as to how they were caught so quickly because they hadn't driven very far. Yeah. Like a few miles. I think it was like 10 miles. Right. 
And there was even a roadblock set up. Von Lester just drives through the roadblock and a high-speed chase pursues. Oh, and no. he's driving around 90 miles an hour okay. at some points. And remember, it's winter. Yeah. And it's icy. Yeah. And so eventually the car kind of spins out. Now, in a couple of reports I read, it said that the police fire at the car uh-huh. to try and get it to stop. And that's kind of what throws them into a spin. I don't know exactly. Most things I said said that they hit some ice. Okay. But either way, the car spins out. They lose control and kind of crash into an embankment. Okay. None of them are injured, luckily. As they exit the car, they're met with several people, but also several townspeople, like civilians, (laughs) all pointing guns at them. (laughs) A small town, Utah. Literally. (laughs) So somehow word had gotten out and the community responded. So in almost everything I read said there were more civilians with all their guns pointed at them (laughs) than policemen. Yeah, well, I'm sure even in that town, there probably is not a lot of policemen to begin with. Yeah. So, yeah, that is hilarious. So they exit the car and they basically surrender without further incident. Yeah. When Lene and Trisha are safe, Lene starts screaming to the cops to kill them, saying they just killed my dad, mom and Grams. Kill them. Oh, but they are taken into custody. So now I just want to kind of go into how did the police catch up yeah. to them so quickly? Like, this was really, really fast. Yeah. And this is kind of a twofold. So one of the neighbors heard the gunshots. Okay. Which is so weird because there's literally not very many neighbors around. Yeah. So it's kind of a miracle that he was there and heard the gunshots. And he calls it into the local police. Okay. But there's also another call that comes into the police to 911. So let's back up slightly to when Uncle Randy tries to stop the car. You know, they drive off, and so he's kind of looking around like, what the hell? Yeah. (laughs) Why are my nieces ignoring me? Something's wrong. And suddenly he hears another snowmobile approaching. And he sees a man riding the snowmobile without a coat or gloves and driving, And sorry, as he's driving the snowmobile, he gets closer, and he realizes it's his brother, Rolf. So shut up. Yeah. He's been shot in the face. <laughs> yeah. So he he says that when he sees Rolf, Rolf's face is just super swollen and red and bloody everywhere. Yeah. And he says he notes that it's so cold outside that there's actual blood sickles hanging off of his face. <laughs> How scary. <laughs> because, because the blood had dripped down yeah. and frozen. <gasps> Can you imagine like, can how you, scary that no, would be? This is literally like a horror movie. <clears throat> yeah. Like, literally, just like it's this remote cabin. It's winter. <clears throat> it's like the most horrific yeah. things have just happened. And then all of a sudden, this guy. And these no people in this family, no like, gets shot in the head. Kate's poor, like, yeah. handicapped mom gets shot in the head and doesn't put her down either. Yeah. And we'll kind of, we'll get to this later, why <clears throat> that happens. Because there That's is a insane. reason that this happens. So, yeah, and then all of a sudden you see your brother riding in on a snowmobile with blood sickles hanging off his face and, like, almost unrecognizable. Because remember, he was shot in the face and the back of the head. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
So Rolf just starts yelling to his brother, I've been shot, my wife has been killed, and my daughters have been kidnapped. How can he even, like, think? Right? Process? This speak? guy is, like, a true freaking superhero. Right? That's like, a dad what? for you. He is, yeah. like, dad in it right like, now. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Dad That's vibes insane. all the way. Right? It's, it's nuts. I, like, I can't even no. fathom how this happens. No. Yeah. So they jump into Randy's car, and Rolf is in the back seat, just kind of bleeding out everywhere. Yeah. And remember, this is 1990, so there there are cell phones, but, like, barely. Right. Like, when you think of cell phones in the 90s, you think of, like, this big-ass brick phone. Yeah. That's, like, it's almost like a cordless phone now that has a little thing that pops down. Yeah. And so, as you can imagine, cell phone service in general at that time is absolutely terrible. Yeah. But especially in the mountains, in oh, that remote of a location. Oh, for sure, yeah. It's like, you're not getting cell service. No. But Randy does have a cell phone, and he immediately starts trying to call 911, but he can't get through. Of course. So, he just keeps, like, hangs up, tries again, hangs up, tries again. And Randy looks up ahead and sees the Lincoln that the girls are in. So he's like starts to pursue them yeah. and follow them. And he's trying to figure out what to do next when his cell service kicks in and the 911 responder comes on. So he tells them kind of what's happening, where they're at, and they're going to send somebody yeah. to the car, tells them about his nieces. And just about when he's going to tell them about Rolf, because he hasn't gotten to that point yet, yeah. and telling him that he needs a life flight. His phone goes dead. Oh, jeez. He loses service, drops no. the call. So he sees a gas station up ahead, and he has to make a quick decision. Yeah. Like he has to either pull in and call 911 in hopes of saving his brother, or he can continue to pursue the car with his two nieces and their kidnappers. Yeah. Which I'm like, I would never want to have to make that no. decision. Because, like, what do you do? But he decides to pull in and try and get help. So he... Pulls in, runs into the gas station, calls 911 again, and this time he's able to tell them all about Rolf's condition, that he's been shot twice. They send a message to officers in the area immediately, and that's when the police pass the car and turn around. Oh, geez. So a lot of people in the area have, like, police, uh-huh. like the radios. Yeah. So they hear the call go out, and that's how everyone's <laughs> alerted that, like, F these two guys, yeah. we're, like, we're getting them. I love that they I hear know. it, and they're like, get your guns, everybody. I know. It's <laughs> like, I, I freaking love it. Oh, that is amazing. And seriously, one of my favorite parts of this story. Yeah. Um. So, Rolf is life-lighted out, and he later tells police that he played dead, and when the men <clears throat> left with his daughters, he knew he had to get help quickly. And at this point, the cabin is on fire, Oh, yeah. Because they lit it on fire before they left, right? Oh, my God. And because he's doused with gasoline, he catches on fire. Shut up. I'm not kidding. I'm telling you, this guy is a superhero. What in the hell? He freaking catches on fire. So he jumps into the shower, rips off, because he's in his snowsuit still from riding in on the snowmobile. So he strips off his snowsuit, puts himself out so that he doesn't burn. Yeah. He then tries to put out some of the fires in the cabin as quickly as he can. Um, And then he runs to the snowmobile and takes off. So he's wet now. (gasps) He's without a coat. 
no hat, yeah. no gloves, in negative 20 degree weather, he was shot in the face and the head, then lit on fire, and still no. somehow survives and just goes into savior mode. Yeah. Like, he's not thinking about himself, and he's just thinking about his girls. I can't even, like, I'm speechless. I, I can't know. even. I'm like, this guy was incredible. Yeah. What? I, yeah. How? I don't even, I can't even fathom. Yeah. That's insane. It's like the fight or flight mode. Right. And the adrenaline kicks in, and it's yeah. just insane to me. Now let's get to the reason that Rolf's able to survive the shot to the face. Okay. And why Beth and Kay didn't die immediately either. Right. Okay. So the gun was loaded with what's called bird shot. Okay. So there's bird shot and buck shot. Right. So bird shot is like a the ammo's filled with these smaller pellets uh-huh. that on impact they sort of scatter. Right. And they cause less damage because they're used for bird hunting. So if you think of how small a bird is, when you kill a bird, you don't want to damage the meat. Okay. Um, so it's meant to help preserve the meat in smaller animals. So it is not used for large game. Okay. That's where they where they use buckshot. Right. And it literally, because I, I looked this up, and it says it's not recommended for self-defense because it typically takes multiple shots to incapacitate your target. Okay. If it's a larger target. Yeah. So okay. that's kind of why yeah. the the ammo, it was the wrong one. But they didn't know that because it wasn't their guns. Yeah. Right? They, yeah. Yeah. So, huh, that's good. I mean, super interesting and like thankful that that's what they had in their guns. Yeah. And not something different. Well, and I think I didn't find this for sure, but I think the one that Delhi had was actual buckshot. So had Delhi fired. I I found conflicting info on this. Uh It wasn't super clear, but I did read that there was a possibility that one had the buckshot in it. Okay. And it was just. Just a freaking miracle, yeah. really, that as many people survived that whole incident. Right. It's huh. an insane. That is interesting. So after all of this, the police end up going to the cabin, and it is like, they said it is the most horrific scene. They are able to put out the fires, but a lot of the cabin has burnt. Okay. And I will try and post as many pictures as I can on our Facebook and Insta, because there's like where they shot and killed Beth and Kay. Uh-huh. If you go under the house, that was like in the living room, that so much blood had soaked through <gasps> the carpet that there's blood sickles forming under that had dripped oh, down. Like it had soaked through the carpet and yeah. the floorboards and all of that <gasps> and gone underneath the house. Because like in cabins, if you kind of think of cabins, there's like a little garage area where they park the snowmobiles and stuff. And Uh it looks to me like it's under that. Okay. So like if you go down, so there's still like snowmobiles there. You can see the gas cans. Yeah. Um, You can see the drag marks where they drug (gasps) Kate and Beth out to the deck. There is blood and bullet holes just everywhere. It's like a, it's like a war zone. Oh, it's really, really bad. There's blood smeared all over in the bathroom where Rolf yeah. had to peel off his clothes and get in the shower. Uh-huh. Um, so there's just blood everywhere. Oh, jeez. 
So the two men end up going to trial, and they decide to try them separately. They are both charged with two counts of capital murder, one count attempted murder, two counts aggravated kidnapping, aggravated assault, theft, arson, and a failure to heed to police signal to stop. (laughs) And this is where things get a little dicey. So... After about five months, they haven't, I don't think they've gone to trial. They've done like the pre-trial stuff. Uh Von Lester Taylor makes a plea deal. The plea deal basically says if he pleads guilty to the two counts of capital murder, which is the biggest charge he has, uh, then they'll drop all the other charges. And this is really weird to me because I just don't understand why. Like most of the time, if you make a plea deal, there's a specific purpose. So, like, you'll plead guilty to the lesser charge if you drop the worst charge. Right. Or in this case, a lot of times they'll plead guilty to avoid a trial, but then the death penalty will be taken off the table. Yeah. And that's not the case. So they don't take the death penalty off the table, but he pleads guilty to the two counts of capital murder. Okay. Which I'm like, like, why? Why would you not just take your chance with the jury? Because you're basically getting the max that you could get even if you went to trial. Right. So it just makes zero, zero sense why, that is super why this plea deal happened. Yeah, because usually, yeah, the plea is either to, like, get a lesser charge or take death penalty off. Or, like, you're going to plead to some things and then roll over on the other guy. Yeah. There's none of that. It's basically, like, you plead guilty to this. We leave the death penalty on the table. But then we'll drop all the other stuff. It's like, what? Yeah, unless they just really didn't want to go to trial for whatever reason. And they were like, listen, either way, you're going to get this. That's so weird. Yeah. I've never heard anything like this. Yeah, if there's any lawyers out there who would have an idea, I would like to know what the thought process behind that was. Because that seems weird. I I don't get it at all. Yeah. So he is sentenced to death by lethal injection. And he begins his appeals, which, again, is harder because you pled guilty. Yeah. So you don't have as many appeal options. Right. Because you pled guilty. Yeah. So after years and years of this, in 2020. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. 30, what, 30 yeah, years 30 later. Years. He actually gets his death sentence overturned in one of his appeals. So his new defense team argues that during his trial, his public defender, Elliot Devine, or Devine, I think it's Devine, but it's D-E-V-I-N-E, so okay. Devine, but I think they pronounce it Devine, okay. gave, and I'm quoting this, inexcusable, uninformed advice, and basically says that's why Von Lester pled guilty. And during his trial, the public defender didn't have, like, before he actually pled guilty, they had started the trial proceedings, right, Uh like the pretrial. He didn't call any experts, and they basically found that his defense was very inadequate, which I kind of agree with, because this is, like, it just makes zero sense. Right. I mean, not that I don't think he should have got what he got, because that was a horrific crime, but at the end of the day, it's a great... I mean, I still think he deserves to die. Yeah, but if you want your stuff to stick, like, you got to do it the right way. Yeah. So that they can't appeal and be like, he, like, they're probably thinking, like, why did you plead guilty? Yeah, like, you dummy, what? <laughs> like, they're, 
I'm sure the other it sounds like the other lawyers are like that makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> like you were like, giving oh, okay deal <laughs> really terrible <laughs> like, advice. Yeah, like that prosecutor signed that plea deal so fast. Yeah. So his defense team also had the guns tested, and in what they tested, they found that the gun Delhi had been holding huh. was the one that had been fired. So they argue that Delhi was the one who pulled the trigger and not Von Lester, which is completely opposite of yeah. what we had thought. Right. And this, again, does not make any sense to me at all. Because remember, these two men look very differently. Like, right. Von Lester has the frizzy hair. <laughs> yeah. Delhi has the Coke bottle glasses. They have different color hair. And all of the witnesses who saw yeah. their family being murdered and shot say that it was Von Lester who did the shooting. Yeah. This makes no sense to me. Right. It's just so bizarre. But the judge agrees with the defense, and the sentence was vacated, switches from death to life in prison without parole. Okay. So, of course, the family's, like, super distraught by this. Right. They don't understand, like, what, what just yeah. happened? Yeah. But then... <laughs> Another turn. In July of 2021, the 10th U.S. District Court reinstates the death penalty for Von Lester because they basically say that he was a willing participant. And like we've talked about in other episodes, if you're involved in like a robbery uh-huh. or something like that and someone gets killed, uh-huh. even if you don't pull the trigger, you're just as guilty and you can get charged for capital murder. Yeah. Based on that, they're like, it doesn't really matter who pulled the trigger. Right. They were both there. You were both both there. You both planned this out. You stole from the house. Mm -hmm. You stole the car. You kidnapped these girls. Yeah. This is where I just wanted to put in. Remember, like, they, they literally spent the night waiting for this family to come home. Yeah. Knowing that this was their plan. Yeah. So... They end up reversing that decision and giving him the death penalty again. <laughs> okay. And he is still on death row today awaiting a death sentence or a death date. So well, I hope he, he's done with appeals then because it's been 30 years. I think he is. I couldn't find that years. he had any more appeals left <laughs> yeah. from what I could research. Right. Yeah. So I think he's just waiting for his <clears throat> death date now. Okay. But, I mean, that was in 2021. Yeah. So... Hopefully in the next few years. Well, I don't know what takes so long. I don't don't know. I don't understand what takes so long. I really don't. Me either. So then let's go to Edward Deli. So he ends up going to trial. He's like, "Uh, no, I'm not taking a plea bill. I'll take my chance with the jury. Yeah. And in his trial, Trisha, Lene, and Rolf all testify against him. Even though the girls are really young. And they've been through such a traumatizing event. Everything I could read about this says that they did such an amazing job at trial. Like they were, because, you know, it's such an emotional thing to do. Yeah. And they were able to keep their emotions in check. And they're able to give all the details of the events. His defense claims that he was kind of unaware of what was going to happen. And was just following Von Lester's lead. Right. And that he didn't pull the trigger. Which now, who who knows, right? right we yeah. we I have no clue who pulled no. the trigger, but I'm more apt to believe the witnesses who were there, right, than some testing that was done 30 years later. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, this is where it gets super weird because, oddly enough, Deli is found guilty, but he's found guilty of second-degree murder, not capital murder. Huh. And he gets sentenced to five years in life with the possibility of parole. Most of the time, this doesn't happen where two suspects in the same crime get charged with different degrees of murder. Yeah, because second degree, from what I understand, is like you've murdered somebody but without premeditation. Exactly. Like there's no plan. There's no premeditation. And obviously this was premeditated. Yeah. Super weird. So the jury later says that this happened because there was one juror who wouldn't agree to capital murder. And rather than putting the family through a mistrial and Uh forcing them to testify again and sort of relive their hell, the jury compromised and decided on second-degree murder. Okay. So he was sentenced to serve at least 62 years before being eligible for for parole, but the judge will recommend that he never gets out. And I hope he doesn't. I hope he lives his entire life there. Right, yeah. After 10 years in prison, Deli actually wrote a letter to Lene and apologizes to her, saying that he's a changed man and that he's not the same kid that made this stupid mistake, you know, as he as he was. And he feels so much remorse and so much sadness for what he's put her and her family through and that he's just so, so sorry. And Lene says it took her about nine years to respond And she would just read and then reread the letter. Yeah. But eventually she does write him back and decides to forgive him because she's an amazing human. And she says basically like she won't, she can never forget what happened. Right. But forgiving him means that she doesn't have to carry that burden and it sort of sets her free. Yeah. And so she did it more for her than him. Right. Which I think if, you know, if that's how she... If that's what she needs to do to kind of mm-hmm. end that process and move on, oh, then for I sure. think that that's fantastic. I, I wholeheartedly believe in forgiveness in that manner just because, like, holding on to that just will eat you alive. And it's not fair that you suffer because of the actions of someone else. So if you can come to that place to forgive, I think it does, like, right. give you another chance at, like, living, you know, past yeah. that trauma. But it would be so hard. I agree. I don't know that I could do it, but yeah, she's, I mean, you hear about it a lot that that happens. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't think you can really say what you would do until you're in that situation. No, for sure. Yeah. Hopefully we're never in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I get that it would be like a release of that Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to carry that with you. Well, and it's so hard because everybody that goes to jail or prison, they're really sorry and they're changed. And it's really easy to not be that person when you're locked up because you can't burglarize. You can't light things on fire. You can't, I mean, you can murder people, but like your chances of doing those kinds of things are not happening necessarily as um, easily as it is on the outside. You don't have, you know, this, the circumstances are not the same. Right. On the other hand, it sounded like he was kind of remorseful, like, during the whole yeah. act. And so, it sounds like he couldn't stomach it. Like, this was not for him. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's a narcissist. They tend to be, like, a little more behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, exactly. You light shit on fire. You're not actually, like, there. Like you, it's, and most it's of the time, little... arsonists don't light stuff on fire when people are in it. I mean, yeah, occasionally that happens. Yeah. But, you know, they they 
really try it, their thing is more arson it's not murder yeah so you know there's that like humanistic side i think that sometimes you like sorry for him that like he did feel that way but he didn't stop it and he didn't yeah. try and to he like had days to think about right this. and he could have left or he could have and done I mean, something even, like, different. Even before they got to the cabin, mm-hmm. they had talked about, like, they had just been stalking it for days. Yeah. For, like, two days before they even got there. Yeah. Just um, waiting for the right time. Well, and for her to, like, respond nine years later, I mean, that shows that she really took into consideration, like, yeah. what the letter said, like, what he had said, and she really put, like, some thought into it as well. Yeah. Um, in order to make that decision. So. And I'm sure there was that moment where, like, F you, dude. I'm not forgiving yeah, you. Like, absolutely. I can't forgive you for this. At least in my mind, this is what would have happened. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then you kind of go back and forth and have that internal uh-huh. struggle. And she just decided, nope, this is this is what's right for me. Yeah. Has nothing to do with him. Yeah, I almost commend her for not, like, writing back, like, that angry letter telling yeah. him, like, what a piece of shit he is or whatever. Yep. And, like, actually holding out until she, like, knew exactly what she wanted to do. So. Yeah. That takes yeah. a lot that of willpower. That whole family seems like they're pretty strong I know. people. It's, it's crazy. So the dad survived, right? Yep, he survived. That's insane. Yep. <sighs> so I'm going to keep this part brief, but I did think it was worth mentioning. So the Tita family filed a civil lawsuit against the state of Utah because both defendants were parolees at the time of the incident, and they basically felt that Utah had failed to protect them against these monsters. Yeah. And apparently, this is where I'm like, what? Apparently, Von Lester called another air quote friend Uh at the halfway house that they had run away from prior to the incident. And told him where they were, that they were in Oakley, that they were robbing cabins, that they had planned to leave for New York, and about the entire plan to kill the family, kidnap the girls, and steal the car. And that was their getaway plan. So he told this guy everything. Yeah. And this guy, which amazingly, because you don't always find this. Yeah. But he reports it to law enforcement immediately. And nothing is done. Oh, there's like that. Nobody goes and follows up on it. No one investigates it. No one tries to go to Oakley and find them. Well, and these guys ran away from the halfway house. Yeah. So they should already be like looking, looking out for, for them. them because yeah. they ran away. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So nothing's done. And they were going to kidnap the girls. They're just going to keep them forever. So they they told Lene and Trisha that they were going to keep them to, until they got to New York. And then that they would let them go. But Lene and Trisha were like, they would have killed us. Yeah. Like, there's no way they're letting us go. We know where they are. We know who they are. We know, like, there's no way they would have let us go. Yeah, and they're going to make you drive for days with them in a car. Yeah, like. And then they'll let you go in New York. Like, they're not lost dogs. Like, they'll never find their way home. Right. But the suit ends up getting dismissed because Utah has something called the governmental the Governmental Immunity Act of Utah, which makes the government immune to certain lawsuits for crimes committed, like assault, battery, false arrest, burglary, civil rights stuff. And it's basically intact to protect the government and our state from going bankrupt due to numerous lawsuits. I mean, I get that, I guess, to like an extent. Right. So they have to prove, like, complete negligence 
So like when you have a cop involved shooting or something like yeah. that. Like there's lots of civil suits that do go through. For sure. That there are loopholes through this. So how this <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard that. <laughs> out in my garage and cody's in the living room i believe and that was a sneeze so I don't it was know if so heard. loud i don't know if you guys could hear it but oh, that just that caught me great. off guard so yeah so there's lots of loopholes you know so that you can get you can get civil suits to go through um and to me this one seemed like an absolute negligent act by the state yeah. so i don't know how it was dropped but it was dropped and the, from what I could find, which was very, very limited information, yeah. they filed the suit back in, like, 1996, so okay. pretty soon after it had happened. Uh-huh. Um, and it was because the charges included the burglary that, because from what I can find from the from the act, uh-huh. it doesn't include murder. So if there's, like, murder, it doesn't make it so that we can't sue the government or the okay. state. But because there was the burglary charge involved, they got out of it. Huh. And the Tita family, which we'll get into that in just a minute, but they were very well off. They had been very successful business owners. So they weren't doing it for the money. Right. They didn't care about the money. They just wanted the state to take some accountability. Yeah. From what I could find. Yeah. Because, I mean, number one, you have two parolees that essentially have escaped custody. Yeah. So they should have already been on the lookout for them. And then, then you, you have, have them call them. Yeah. You have like someone turn them in for like what they say they're going to do. And there's still no like real search for them. Yeah. Like you literally knew exactly where they were, what they were doing, what their plan was. Yeah. And nobody like just drive. Like you could probably go on a snowmobile and drive around Oakley and see some sp- suspicious shit happening with these two. Absolutely. And have stopped it. Yeah. And I, I mean, just for anybody listening, like, I was a cop's wife for many, 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 many years. <laughs> and so I have the utmost respect. Like, my ex-husband is still a police officer. Absolutely. Like, I love police. I think, you know, very highly of them. But, you know, every profession has has their people that aren't really good at their profession. Yeah. <laughs> and so. Well, and I feel like in a lot of states, just, like, you hear a lot about, like, LAPD, for example. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> that just, like, looks the other way. I don't feel like we have a ton of that in Utah. I mean, no. I think, I think, of course, we could do lots of things better. But like you said, every profession has that. Yeah. Well, and when you have a profession, especially, like, the police that are in the media's eye and all you hear is the bad stories, then mm-hmm. you're going to think they're all bad. Yeah. We don't, I mean, very rarely do we get the good stories, you know, so like with the teachers molesting children, it's like, so true. you know, you hear all the all those stories and you never like you don't hear they don't put on the news like all the great stories because right. that's not going to get news. And so, you know, it, it you can you can have your view skewed very easily. But in this case, it I mean, obviously, I don't know exactly what happened, but from what it sounds like, there was a big, giant, bad ball that was dropped. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's hard because going back this long ago, yeah, before there was, like, a ton of internet stuff, uh-huh. like, it's hard to find information yeah. about these cases that took place in the 90s. Well, and I think it's, I mean, just from, like, doing what we've been doing, it's hard to find information about cases in Utah. It is. It's a lot harder than you would think. <laughs> yeah. And so, for me, I'm like... Maybe maybe the police did do something. Yeah. We don't really know that, but from what everything 
like everything that I could find was basically right. like, yeah, you dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. Yeah, someone yeah. forgot to follow up a real, real important yeah. <laughs> lead. Well, and the fact that they were able to at least get a lawsuit filed yeah. makes me think that there's something to that. For sure. But then it is dismissed, so well, that's who knows? too bad. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to end by kind of talking a little bit more about the Tita family. So Kay and Rolf met in Salt Lake City, and they got married on May 24th, 1963, they moved to Humboldt, Texas, which I don't know where in Texas that is. I feel like I've heard of it, but I have no but idea. Humboldt, where Rolf opened a Skyline um, equipment company. It was called Skyline Equipment. And it's basically like a commercial laundry equipment business. Okay. And he was very successful. In yeah. fact, the business is still there today. Oh, wow. Um, they lived in Texas at the time of the incident. But they flew back to Utah every year because they had family in the area. Okay. And they just loved spending Christmas at the oh, cabin. Oh, sad. Yeah. Kate even named the cabin the, um, it, I'm sorry, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> she named the cabin Tita Tranquility because it was, oh. like, so beautiful and peaceful. Yeah. And it was their time just away from everything business-related yeah. just to... Hang out and spend time together in the tranquility of the mountains. How sad to, like, have your and family's favorite place turned into, I'm sure, something that your worst memory. Oh, yeah. But these, this family's amazing. So, <sighs> they say, I mean, just hold on to that thought. Okay. Um, so, it had become a tradition to fly in for the holidays. And like I said, the family preferred to fly or travel separately. Uh-huh. And so, that's why... That's why Kay and Sean fly in first. So they fly in a day before Rolf and the girls. Okay. And they get to the cabin to kind of help set up all the Christmas stuff. Uh And then Rolf flies in with the girls the following day. Okay. So after everything happened, they restored the cabin, Uh said they made it better than ever, and they still go there every Christmas. Shut up. They have continued this family tradition. Sorry, How I just hit my mic. How sweet is that? I know. Like, wh- How did, like, what? Yeah, these people, people. are so strong. Like, I don't know that I could go there, but they say it's, like, they had so many more good memories there right. with their mom and grandma than that one day. Yeah. That it's, like, they want to go every year and spend time with their family and keep up that tradition. Yeah. And they didn't want those assholes to, to take that away from yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so they just like gave them the giant middle finger, and we're like, we're gonna make this better than ever, and yeah. we're gonna continue to thrive, even though yeah. you took two very important people from us. Oh, now Rolf actually remarried, I think, a couple of times, but Kay was just like the love of his life. Yeah, so it's really, really sad. He actually passed away in two thousand and eight after a battle with cancer. But he was surrounded by his family, went peacefully. Yeah. They all say that he was just literally the best dad, which you can tell from oh, the story. Yeah. Like yeah. An actual superhero. Right. And he was born on September 29th, 1939 in Germany and came to the U.S. with his mom when he was 11 years old. Okay. Both him and Kay were very devout parents, um, devoted to their children, they ended up having the three children. They had some troubles, from what I read, conceiving. They okay. wanted a big family immediately. 
And so they ended up adopting Lene. Okay. And then they were in the process of adopting Sean right after they, like, days after his adoption went through, they found out they were pregnant with Trisha. Always happens. Always. I swear that's so crazy. Yeah. So it was like a cool little yeah. ending to their family. Yeah. Um, and he was just, like I said, a true hero. Kay was born on January 16th, 1941 in Nevada. And after her death, there was a joint funeral for both her and her mom, Beth. And everyone kind of said they were actually glad that the two went together because they were so, so, so close in life. Yeah. Kay was said to be a great friend, supportive, loving, and never passed judgment on anyone. She was always willing to open up her home to anyone. And Beth Potts was described as having, she just sounds like spunky, lots of energy, being fun, vivacious, energetic grandma who was full of life. Oh, wow. So even after her accident, she just, like, always wanted to go, 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 go. Oh, she sounds so cute. Yeah. Sean took over the family business. And from what I could find, I couldn't find much on Sean, but he's married and has three children and is still living in Humboldt and running the business okay. after Rolf passed away. Lene married and her and her husband have nine children between Holy them. Cow. Nine children between them. So bless your soul. Did she birth all of them? I th- like no, I think she, I think it said she had four. Okay. And I don't know if he had five or if he had some and then they had some together. Ugh. I couldn't find that, but I know at least four of hers are bio. <laughs> I don't know about the other five. I mean we have me and Cody have four between us, and, like, I can't imagine doubling that. I, would, I am just not fit for I know, that. I Some people are just amazing that we way. We have five between <laughs> us, and it's it can be a lot. Yeah. Luckily, ours are, like, spread a yeah, lot age-wise, uh-huh. so we didn't have, like, all the young kids at once. Yeah. But my sister has that situation. Yeah, and no, thank you. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So, um... Trisha married and had two children, two little girls, and then later divorced. The siblings have all remained very, very close and try to spread love wherever they go. Aww. And Trisha and Lene just said that they were already bonded. Everyone said that they it was just amazing. They were always on the same page. Yeah. Um, and this just solidified that bond because Aww. they went through something that nobody else can yeah. imagine. Yeah. So... That's the Tita family. That's insane. I, like, I knew that there was, like, a story about that, but I honestly had no idea about any of the story. So that was, that was a fun, that was not fun, but it was a good case to to hear. Yeah. Because there's, like, documentaries and stuff. Oh, yeah. So I didn't get a chance to watch the documentaries, um, but there are tons of podcasts on this, too. Okay, yeah. So I tried to, like, change it up to a different perspective because all of them I listened to were like the exact same, like literally almost word for word, the exact same information. But there's a lot on this. Um, And it it was just terrible. Yeah. That's this. I feel like this family is so strong for suffering so much. They really are. Like it makes you, I don't know. I hope that people think that I'm not strong someday, you know? (laughs) I hope I don't have to prove my strength in any sort of way like that. But, I'll continue to just be, be. <laughs> yeah, just be. Just, just be, be and be happy. And, yeah. And yeah. hopefully never have to suffer some great tragedy like that because. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. So we wanted to give a quick 
uh, thank you and shout out to the people who have signed up on Patreon. Yeah. This is, it really does go back into the podcast and we're planning on doing lots of things. So if you want to support us. Yeah. Um, Megan did fit, figure out the link, which <laughs> took us a little bit of time. It so it's a hard. little hard. Yeah, it's a little hard to, to do, but I feel like it support, should be in the show notes. The support person on Patreon was like, oh, you're so, so like, sweet. <laughs> Bless your loving yeah, heart. Yeah, he was so nice, but I <laughs> feel like I could like feel through the email that he was like, "Oh my hell, like, are you ninety, lady? <laughs> yeah, like do you not know how technology yeah. works?" I was like, "I'm sorry, I'm just old and I sound really stupid." But <laughs> neither of us could figure it out. No, so. it was it was but a pain. Like but we've I'm, mentioned, we are not technologically I savvy. Not no nope. at all. Nope. So, but yeah. yeah. Maybe we can take a class with our Patreon donation. Right. <laughs> and get some better, like, quality sound equipment. And yeah. it would just be, it's just so, like, you have no idea, like, when we see that we get, like, someone on Patreon, it's like, we're texting each other. We like, do. We oh text each other immediately. And we're like, do you know this person? We've got to reach out. It's so, it's so amazing. So, yeah. you don't know that those few dollars a month go to helping us so much. So, yeah. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and so you guys can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at... Sinners Among Saints Podcast. And you can send us an email at... Sinners Among Saints Podcast at gmail.com. And I guess don't forget to hit up the Patreon if you'd like to. And our Twitter. Oh, yeah, and Twitter. Sorry, Capital SAS <laughs> Podcast underscore 22. And remember to keep listening if you want in on the sin. Bye, guys. Bye.